Anglophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to the very first episode of our brand spanking new podcast, Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis. And we are the best of friends. Stephanie is one of my favorite people. We met in high school through Drama Club, and we quickly bonded over our shared love of all things British, particularly British sitcoms. And uh, thus formed a Britcom club. Yes. <laughs> it, it sounds more formal than it actually was. It was basically just us and a few other friends who would convene after improv practice Saturday afternoons at my house and bring together VHS tapes of all of our favorite British sitcoms and watch them and expand our comedy horizons and laugh and delight in the, the zany and clever and whimsical humor of all these wonderful gems that I can't wait to talk about on this podcast. Well, Kaylee, that that means a lot to me. You're one of my favorite people as well. And I am so happy that we've remained friends, despite the fact that there are thousands of miles separating us. Yes. Uh, Kaylee lives in Manhattan. She is living the dream there right at this very moment. And I'm over here in Los Angeles. Living a different dream. And we're we're making this work somehow. Google Hangout is how we're making this work. (laughs) Technology. It is true. Our our Britcom club wasn't really all that formal, but Kaylee did do um, an awesome thing and make us like membership bracelets. (laughs) They were a takeoff of the WWJD bracelets that you'd see a lot, mm-hmm. but they said WWBD, as in Brian. The true messiah. As in Monty Python's life of Brian. <laughs> you know, I actually, I remember when I made my own, I swore that I was going to wear it, and then the first boy that knew what it meant without my having to tell him, I would marry him. And that never happened because I had to cut it off because I got cast in a play, and then I lost it. So I guess I'm just never going to get married. It's a bummer. When you hold yourself to some, the rule that you made up when you were 16. You know what? I had a dream when I was in high school that I had a Bob Dylan tattoo on my hip and it said, geez, I can't find my knees. <laughs> and I woke up and I thought I should actually get that tattoo someday. And then if I'm naked with someone, I'll marry that person if they know what it means. <laughs> I've gotten tattoos, but I've not gotten that tattoo quite yet. I think it's because you're but not ready to make that commitment. Of a tattoo on my hip that says, geez, I can't find no, of, my of knees. No, of marriage. Oh, of marriage? When you're when you're open to love, Stephanie, you will get that tattoo and you will find the one. Oh, God, when I'm open to love. <laughs> Sorry, this just turned into like a shitty... Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying. Back no, to, this, is actually, this is actually pretty fantastic. No, I am so open to love. All kinds of love. <laughs> The, the kind of love that I am most open to is the love that I have for British television shows and the people who made them decades yes. before I was born. <laughs> Fantastic save, yeah. my love. This shared love of this very specific kind of humor that I think a lot of Americans also are in on and like, but it's not overwhelmingly popular here. Like, there's a, a very different character to American comedy versus British comedy. And we are really big fans of British humor. And that, you know, that's been the basis of our friendship that has sustained for over 15 years at this point and across a whole continent. We still you know, through the magic of Facebook chat, we talk to each other on an almost daily basis. And usually uh, some British comedy that we love will enter the conversation. So these are conversations that I think that we would be having anyway. We're just now recording them and making them public to other people who are interested in these shows. Probably, I mean, I would think that a lot of people who are tuning into a podcast called Anglophilia also identify as Anglophiles, but maybe some of the shows that we're discussing on here you won't have heard of, and we'd be really delighted if you were to discover new things that you wouldn't otherwise hear. So 
hopefully we can we can share some of our passion with you guys and get you on board. Yes, and for our first foray into this unknown podcast discussion world, we are going to be taking a look at the show Mr. Bean, starring Rowan Atkinson, which he co-created with Richard Curtis. Yay! They were preparing for an Edinburgh Fringe show, and they wrote a sketch about a man who couldn't stay awake. <laughs> and he became the inspiration for frickin' Mr. Bean. And one thing that they both definitely wanted to achieve with the beloved Mr. Bean is a show with, quote, a genuine international appeal. And they certainly achieved that. They certainly did. Well done, fellas. Yeah. I really love this show. I think the reason that we're starting here is that as you said, it has international appeal. So it's going to be known to many Americans. And also, since this is our first episode, there's not much risk of spoiling anything because even if we give away a plot point in a five minute vignette, there's no substitute for actually watching the masterful physical comedy of Rowan Atkinson as Mr. Bean. So it can still be enjoyed even if you're listening to this first. Absolutely. All of the episodes are available for free on YouTube through the official Mr. Bean channel. So go if you haven't seen it or if you even like me and Steph before this haven't seen it in a while, it's definitely worth revisiting. It holds up so beautifully. And another reason that we wanted to start with this show is that I don't know about for you, Steph, but for me, this was my first exposure to any British comedy. Okay. My mother showed it to me when I was maybe five or six, and it was sort of my gateway drug. And I think that's probably true for a lot of Anglophiles because, you know, he's so accessible. You don't need to understand any accents or, or know any British slang. You can be a child. You can still appreciate the ridiculous things that he does with his face and body and the weird behaviors and eccentricities of this magnificent character. I remember the first episode that she showed me was the one where he loses his swimming trunks in the pool. And she really knew her audience because there is nothing funnier to a six or seven year old than a naked bottom. So I was hooked immediately. <laughs> and uh, it's it's still so funny all these years later. Well, talk about that international appeal and how even a child could be into something like this. Mm -hmm. Because of how physical he is, um, there's nothing that you really have to be mature enough to get. Yeah. And um, Bean himself is kind of a child. You don't really know what his deal is. Yeah, I know. What is his deal? We will discuss that, I'm sure. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson has described him as, you know, kind of kind of a child. And that includes when Mr. Bean is a shit, mm -hmm. is, is being a complete child. Yeah. The first note that I wrote when I was watching these episodes is bizarre everyman, <laughs> which I think succinctly captures what he is because he's so weird and he's so inept at the most basic human things and yet I feel that we are all secretly him to some degree well because the first thing that he does is actually not unique to him per se only he would tie himself to the top of his mini cooper and drive because he's just bought a recliner chair <laughs> but any one of us could actually fuck up a calculus exam. The first time that I watched that, I was too young to have ever taken a calculus exam or probably any standardized test. Mm -hmm. But uh, but watching that, oh, that test anxiety, it took me right back to being in high school. And it's been yeah. so many years, but that is such a universally relatable feeling to the point that many of us long past our test taking days have recurring nightmares about being unprepared for something. So that touches on a very universally human feeling. Yeah, and, and I do feel that Bean, while he does kind of always fail at life, he does seem to have <laughs> he succeeds on his own terms. He does seem to have some kind of understanding. E even he gets embarrassed by things. Sure, I'm thinking specifically about 
his birthday when he, he takes himself out to dinner, writes himself a birthday card, and then opens it and reads it and is delighted. But he, he means to order steak and they bring him steak tartare because he just points at the menu and says, steak. Mm-hmm. And rather than say, this is not what I wanted, sir, which can be embarrassing. Sure. He instead proceeds to hide bits of the raw steak in different parts of the dinner table. It's so good. And it's the exact kind of justification that a child would come up with. Oh, I didn't want to tell my mom I had to go to the bathroom, so I just took a shit in my pants and didn't say anything. It's creative problem-solving, Steph. That's what it is. That's what it is. Pretty much all of Mr. Bean is creative problem-solving. And he's such a bizarre individual that he... He operates on his own internal logic that makes sense to no one but him. But it is there. That's the thing about about characters who are crazy or bizarre in any way. It's not that they don't obey rules. It's that they obey a specific set of rules that is alien to the rest of us. Actually, it's funny that I say the word alien because uh, we should talk about the opening. Dude, is he an alien? He drops out of the sky. Yeah, Yeah, every single episode begins with him literally falling from the sky, surrounded by a beam of light. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of runs off as if someone... I don't know. It's like he was just born. Yes. Because doesn't he kind of get up and run off like a baby animal? Because you know how yes. baby mammals can walk, <laughs> which is real <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> he, he does kind of just trot away. Another thing that's interesting is that, to my knowledge, and I haven't done any research on this, but as far as I know, this is the only television show with a theme song that's written in Latin, which for all the, you know, accessibility and simplicity of the show, that's pretty damn sophisticated and erudite. That's amazing. Yeah. And do you know what the lyrics mean? No. I I looked this up. According to Wikipedia, it's uh, behold the man who is a bean. Isn't that great? What? Something, something, kies faba. Faba? I think that's what it is. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) this is something silly. When I was little... I I sort of made up my own words for the theme song or, or interpreted what I thought that they were. And I thought it was, Bean is awkward. Bean is awkward, which is true. It's true. It's perfectly valid interpretation. But instead, it's Behold the Man Who is a Bean. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It is, isn't it? I love that. Wait, so they went and recorded that? I thought that must have been just kind of some stock music that so was in too, Latin. And it wasn't until I, until I looked up. I was like, what are the actual words? Because I know it's not bean is awkward i i you know my hearing has improved since then but yeah it's so cool that it's written in latin like not even even aaron sorkin who is arguably one of america's greatest and certainly our most pedantic television writer and creator has not attempted such a thing he's had many uh, episode titles in latin but never a theme song so get on it aaron if you want to catch up you know speaking of internal logic mm-hmm. and the sort of um, train of thought that only makes sense to an individual mm-hmm. Can I share with you something that I was inspired to do while I was watching um, only the second episode of the show? Okay, what was it that prompted it? That's what I mean by internal logic. I don't quite know what prompted it, but I decided to uh, Google (laughs) and see if any Mr. Bean pornographic parodies exist. No. Oh, I'm so scared. (laughs) I I think that's going to kind of unfortunately be a lasting habit for me ever since I wanted to know. I know I've shared this with you in the past if there was any drop dead Fred porn out there. I was talking with a friend about that movie over lunch a year ago and I said, you think there's a drop dead Fred porn? 
And she's like, I don't know. This has never crossed my mind. Um, I found it. I found it. Wait, back to Mr. Bean for a second. Who, besides you for research purposes, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, who the hell is searching for Mr. Bean porn? Truly, probably just me. I mean, it's rule 34, right? Like, if if you can imagine it, there is porn on the internet. So I guess we just proved that. Well, exactly. And I think we've also set up a dangerous precedent that we're going to have to Google porn versions of every show that we talk about here. Oh, this is a great idea. Oh, God, is it? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm putting a big old star on this piece of paper because that's fantastic. Oh, Lord, but I'm so scared. What did you find? (laughs) Okay, so last time when I found um, Rock Hard Ed. (laughs) I was mostly looking for it being an honest-to-goodness parody and not just gross, you know, sex acts. I thought, this person better be an imaginary friend in a weird green suit going, and we we had that in the first couple seconds, then everything went to hell. Um, So I thought, all right, well, um, let's see if there's any Mr. Bean porn out there. What what does that look like? Like you do. Jesus. So I I Googled um, Mr. Bean porn. (laughs) That's in your search history. That's in my search history. Um, So if if the Russians are watching me, I don't give a shit. They'll probably be delighted because he has international appeal. Mr. Bean, very good, very good. Oh, God. So I typed that in and it took me to a a certain hub, (laughs) so to speak. Can I guess, is it Mr. Bone or Mr. Bang or something? See, that that would have made sense. (laughs) Okay. I got to a link that it said this in its entirety. Are you ready? Okay. I mean no disres I mean no disrespect. Lay it on me. Mr. Bean strokes his hard circumcised wiener <laughs> after 9-11. Oh my god, who the fuck? What? So I clicked on it because I wanted to see that. You did? <laughs> I had to know if that was actually going to happen. I just, wait, okay, does this mean like immediately in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 or just in a post 9-11 world where you have to take off your shoes at the airport? Well, dude, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to know what kind of porn was so ambitious that they were going to include like 9-11. Oh. So it took me to a three and a half minute clip of a Mr. Bean cartoon, but it was on a porn site. And so I'm like, okay, is this going to be like a weird henta like but it's Mr. Bean. So it was totally trolling and there, there was no wiener whatsoever, but there were a good amount of other, of other clips and the titles are incredible and I would like to share them with you if that's okay. Please, please. Oh, yes. Okay. This one's great and I, I'm reading it exactly as it was typed. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bean, fuck a dog with a stick and then joins the army for Prussia 69. <laughs> Yeah, this one's great too. Again, I, I mean, zero disrespect to anyone. Blame this this author of these incredible titles. Mr. Bean sucks off Jewish movie man for credibility. <laughs> for credibility. Mr. Bean joins the Prussian fellatio club. <laughs> it's the second the mention first of rule about Prussian fellatio club is you do not talk about what the f- okay. I don't know. Um, Oh, this one's great. Mr. Bean fucking dies. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Bean conspires against the USSR and gets exiled. Okay. Sexy. I don't see how that's sexy. Um, And then this one's, this one's fantastic. And I wish this were a real movie. (laughs) Godfather part four, but it's Mr. Bean and he wants to abolish the government. (laughs) 
Godfather Part 4, but it's Mr. Bean is, is good enough. That's already all I want in my life. Because I'm just imagining, like, a really annoyed, really old Robert Duvall <laughs> trying to get Bean to be serious. <laughs> like, I don't know. Bean's just, like, sitting in the Godfather chair going, <laughs> like, everyone's around him. I don't know. I don't know what that oh, would look like. Oh, in the opening, he's stroking Teddy instead of a cat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. Wow. Okay, well, that's a that's an interesting little tangent that you went on there. I'm so glad you went on that journey. Um, yeah. I, I do have to ask, though, what would a good Mr. Bean porn parody actually look like? See, that's, that's terrible because Mr. Bean might be among just the last people you'd ever want to even just be naked in front of because even if he did have the... Um, bravery to even look at you mm -hmm. which you know because we see the way he treats his girlfriend yes and the nude art model yeah he he seems pretty not into female sexuality to the point where he's a little grossed out by it like a kindergartner would be mm -hmm. like wiping a kiss off his cheeks so yeah if he didn't just kind of try to hide from you he'd probably i don't know try to press your nipples like they're buttons and go oh. <laughs> like what <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have to be, in order to stay true to the spirit of the original, it would need to be more funny than sexy. Yeah. He would never actually, like, consummate the relationship. It would probably be, again, more creative problem solving in the vein of, like, accidentally swallowing a key to handcuffs and having to retrieve it in some sort of weird way. Right. I, I mean, truly, I was expecting just, like, a dorky guy in a brown suit and, um than sex yeah that's yeah Be because i kind of feel like that's what porn parodies it's are so, it's so sad they don't they don't try anymore man no man they don't so while we're on the subject of porn parodies which is a, a weird mm. tangent that's somewhat circuitously related to what i'm gonna say i think that the best porn parody is a 1970s musical alice in wonderland porno oh you showed me that one so <laughs> speaking of alice in wonderland one of the things that we had talked about doing on this podcast was asking whether this show could be created in America and or what is the closest American equivalent that already exists. And a comparison that's been made a lot with Mr. Bean is Pee Wee Herman. Mm, makes sense. And I think that it's an interesting comparison. They have some similar mannerisms and they're obviously both man children who are completely uninterested in the opposite sex but have sort of suffering girlfriends whom they put up with for some reason. But I think that the similarities kind of stop there. There's a lot more that separates them, I think, than unites them. And while I was thinking about these two very different characters, I remembered an essay that I had read in college from a book called Boys and Girls Forever by Alison Laurie. So our different research connected to this show took us down very different paths. I went for the children's literary criticism and you went for the porn, uh, well. which is great. We've, we've covered the full gamut, so we're going to get all the listeners. So there's this one essay in which she compares The Wizard of Oz to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. And she had, I remembered that she made a point that always stuck with me that I hadn't considered before, which is that Alice is quintessentially British and uh, Dorothy is quintessentially American. Dorothy is, you know, this plucky farm girl who, you know, comes from nothing, humble beginnings, but makes friends wherever she goes and ends up being a princess or a queen in later volumes of this series. Whereas Alice is from an upper middle class background and is very proper and very concerned with rules and, and politeness and procedures and things like that. And interestingly, I don't think that this is necessarily a reflection on whether they are British or American, but the way that they relate to the fantasy worlds that they enter seems similar to the way Pee-wee and Mr. Bean respectively 
relate to the worlds around them. Dorothy makes friends with a lot of people. She collects a sort of merry band of fellow travelers and allies who help her along her journey to see the wizard. Whereas Alice encounters people or creatures, I should say, that range from being openly hostile or just unhelpful, even the sort of more benevolent ones like the Cheshire Cat, the White Rabbit, the White Knight, they don't actually further her journey. They're just sort of episodic and they're there and they have their weird little displays of insanity and then they vanish. Hmm. And sort of like Mr. Bean, actually, they obey their own internal logic. So in a way, and I mean, if you think about the strangers that populate the Mr. Bean universe, there's not... There aren't really, he doesn't have friends. No. I mean, we see that certainly in the New Year's episode. He has two acquaintances who who make a mad dash and reset his clock in order to escape his party that is as so soon mean. as possible. I am sorry. It's heartbreaking. No, I know. I feel so bad. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, and he has this girlfriend who doesn't seem that interested in him and he doesn't seem that interested in her. And we'll also talk about Irma because what what is going on there? Right. Um, I have so many questions about their relationship. But. I think probably the the kindest, most helpful stranger is the one who shares the park bench with him while he's making his crazy sandwich. Uh, and then when it all goes to hell in the end, he shares his sandwich with him. Yeah, that's probably the the single greatest act of kindness that that happens in this. Whereas Pee Wee is surrounded by all of these friends. He's got Cowboy Curtis and the King of Cartoons and Reba the Mail Lady and Miss Yvonne and Captain Carl. R.I.P. He he is sort of like Dorothy in that everybody loves him and he loves everybody. It's a, he he lives in a very friendly, bright, and colorful world that he of which he is the king. Whereas Mr. Bean is alone, just like Alice is alone. And uh, yeah. and you don't know what sort of strangers you're going to come up against in his world. Like I said, there's the nice sandwich one. But then there are the people that he's weirdly competitive with, like the test taker in the first episode. There's some people that he openly antagonizes in later episodes. And I do think this is another thing that I wanted to bring up is that he he becomes kind of more of a dick in the later episodes. I don't totally. know why that is. No, I, I like the earlier episodes for a lot of reasons, but I think that's a big one um and then oh an i think another really weird stranger that he meets is the those strangely homoerotic laundromat bully that he encounters <laughs> what is the deal with that guy yes, that bully kind of wants to fuck mr bean yeah. as soon as mr bean puts on a really unflattering brown skirt by accident yeah it's so bizarre it like it seems like he's partly teasing him but partly hitting on him and i actually thought of the movie dumb and dumber i thought of the character Seabass, you know the intimidating guy that they meet in the diner who at first just seems to want to beat them up but then we later find out that he has anonymous sex with men at truck stops that's totally this guy. Like, he seems... That guy would have had sex with Mr. Bean. Yeah, it's so weird. He's, like, he's really mean, but he's oddly flirtatious in that creepy schoolboy way of, like, oh, I'll push you down, but it's really because I want to get in them pants or that skirt, I guess. Yeah. Now, I ultimately don't think Mr. Bean is a sexual creature. No. Although that did not prevent you from looking up porn of him. <laughs> I had to know. Um, but... Good, good point. Had to know, and now I know. And now my life is all the better for it because I have the phrase Godfather Part 4, except it's Mr. Bean as, as part of my life. Um, <laughs> I don't think Mr. Bean is ultimately a sexual person, but I think there's just a couple little nods to maybe 
man on man love what? aside from the laundromat guy i don't know i but that's not reciprocated no i disagree yeah do we want to talk about irma first and then speculate on his sexuality well, i think it's fair to say that you know he doesn't just feel lukewarm about irma he doesn't like girls he doesn't like women he only likes teddy yeah i think he doesn't really like people it's just kind of sad it is pretty sad. But why does Irma want Mr. Bean to propose to her? Okay, so Irma, that she's such a thing. question mark. I really want to talk about her and their relationship because Irma, I like her and I feel for her. She's she's a person that I would that I would feel bad for if I met in real life. But as a love interest for him, I'm very puzzled because it doesn't seem realistic because I don't know what she wants with him and I don't know what he wants with her. It's just one of those relationships that seems to exist because let's give him a love interest and see how he manages to fuck that up in a variety of ways. She wants to marry him. I think it's probably that she wants to marry someone and that's who's left over. When I think of Irma, I think of, you know, the the alternate reality in, in George Bailey's uh, trip in It's a Wonderful Life where he sees Mary and she's a she's a spinster librarian. Hot as hell, but yeah. I know. It's this weird thing of like, oh, girls with glasses. Men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses. Not true, but a stereotype that persists for some mm -hmm. unknown reason. Right. I think that maybe it's just that she's reached a certain age and like he's what's left. And that is fucking sad. And I feel really bad for her. You know what? This is something that I think is worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. if, if we're talking about the fact that even Mr. Bean has a fucking girlfriend. Yeah. And it, it's not about his looks or his personality. It's that he hates his girlfriend <laughs> and his girlfriend kind of hates him. But okay, you have a, you know, maybe not quite middle-aged, but you have an older man who, who lives alone. Mm -hmm. P.S. That apartment's pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. I would take that. I don't care that it's decorated like an 80-year-old woman lives there. I would live there in a, in a heartbeat. Sure. But anyway, he lives alone. Mm -hmm. He writes Christmas cards to himself, mm -hmm. invites two people to a New Year's party, and then gets ditched. It is very mean to, to people sometimes, sometimes yeah. um, and, and doesn't really seem to get anything right. Doesn't appear to have a job <laughs> yeah. or the ability to form complete sentences. And yet he is happier with himself than Bridget Jones is with herself. Ooh, you're so right. When we think about like pathetic single people, even though it's Bridget, like, even though on paper she has like two men fighting over her, and they're Colin Firth and Hugh Grant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck you, Bridget. What do you got to complain about? <sighs> but yeah, no. Do you do you see what I'm saying? I I do. Going back to Irma for a second, I think I think that she's a bad love interest because. She's just kind of a normal lady. She's not a weirdo like Mr. Bean. And in real life, the weirdos pair up with other weirdos. This is true. There are girl weirdos. Yeah. And I feel like it's the people who are sort of middle of the road, the people who aren't tens, but the people who aren't like very, very offbeat. Those are the ones that actually are single. What's the rest of us? Yeah, exactly. I actually remember a term that uh, my sister's best friend Liz came up with when she was a camp counselor. She said that like all of the the cool popular kids paired up with the cool popular kids, and then the the weirdos paired up with the weirdos, and then the kids that fell through the cracks. She called them the crack kids. Like the rest of us are crack kids. We don't have boyfriends and girlfriends because we're not so bizarre that there's only that one possibility for us yeah crack kid for life man crack kid yeah i love that term i really wonder what what is irma's job what is her does she have friends what is her family situation what does she see in mr bean apart from the fact that he is a single man in the right age group 
Maybe she thinks he's funny. Maybe it's a Jessica Rabbit situation. I have no idea. She can't possibly have friends because all of her friends would have told her, what the hell is going on, man? Why are you dating Mr. Bean? (laughs) (laughs) I need us to swear to each other here and now that we would rather end up Mr. Bean than end up married to Mr. Bean. Like, I don't want that to happen for you. And I don't want that to happen for me. I don't want either of us to do either thing. I would so much rather see you or myself living alone. Check. Mostly talking to a teddy bear than to marry someone who lives alone and talks to a teddy bear and hates us. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) If if, if living alone and talking to a teddy bear is the only criterion for becoming Mr. Bean, then like, I'm just a teddy bear short. Okay. I also want to say, in addition to him not particularly liking Irma, the episode where they're in the movies, he has a giant thing of popcorn for himself, gives her a tiny little one, and then reaches for a fistful of hers. And then when she reaches back, he goes, no, these are mine. Yeah. Obviously, that's terrible. But I think that it also is a pretty accurate representation of a lot of heterosexual relationships historically. Obviously, not all relationships have that gender imbalance. But I think that the whole what belongs to the woman belongs to the man. What belongs to the man is sacred and must not be taken. Like, that's something that that definitely stood out to me as being like, oh, now that I'm a grown up who's been in relationships, I understand that moment now. And I feel for you, Irma. One hundred and fifty thousand percent one more thing about irma in the in the nightmare on elm street episodes does she look like she's getting kind of turned on by the violent bits i'm sure that she's meant to be like horrified and scared but the her body language feels it seems like she's aroused am i am i completely misreading that dude i i picked up on it okay when do you think the last time irma had sex was oh i don't know (laughs) Because it definitely wasn't with her boyfriend, Mr. Bean. That's true. Because she kisses him on the cheek and he wipes it off like a little boy. Yep, yep. And um, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if Irma turned to... Um, there's there's actually a French word for it, which I'm going to butcher. Go for it. Um, jouissance, okay. which is the, the thrill of getting scared. Mm. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Nightmare on Elm Street were doing it for her more than her boyfriend, Mr. Bean. I mean, it's a low bar to clear, so fair enough. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever works, Irma. You there isn't work. even a porn parody of him. That's <laughs> true. I have to ask, do you have any favorite segments or favorite episodes? The manger display <laughs> in the Christmas episode is is one of the greatest things. I think. And it's kind of funny too, in a, in a way when he makes the, um, the T-Rex appear behind the baby Jesus, because you think about all the Christians that believe the earth is 2000 years old and you kind of go, Oh, this is actually oddly not blasphemous because <laughs> oh, that's true. it's what they think happened. <laughs> or, or do they think that the dinosaurs were just slightly ahead of Jesus? I don't think that they believe that, that dinosaurs were present at the birth of Christ. It's not like that crazy love actually pageant where it's all kinds That'd of That'd be great if, if, if dinosaurs were also on Noah's Ark and at the birth of Jesus. That'd be fantastic. Let's start our own religion that's based on that. There's um, dinosaur porn, mind you. Oh, I there know. There is dinosaur porn and not Mr. Bean porn. It all, it all comes back to porn. Let's see, some of my favorite. I love, I love when he's falling asleep in church. There are so many really relatable things in that. When they're singing and he's trying to look at his neighbor's prayer book, the, the sense of being unprepared and not really knowing. It's the classic actor's nightmare. And then also the other thing, something that I love so much is, is how much 
he, how much meaning he infuses into something as small as a little candy. That's a very childlike thing, but it's something that we can all relate to. Everybody has their thing that gets them through the day, their little carrot at the end of their own personal stick, whether it's like, oh, I can't wait to to go home and, and binge watch my favorite show or have a glass of wine. And that's going to be the thing, the thing that gets me through this terrible experience. And, and the fact that he cares so much about this little, what is it, a jelly bean or can't some, some sort of sucking candy. It's a sucking candy. It's a sucking candy. And he puts it in his snot pocket. I love that. Uh, and and yeah, also being in a public place and not having a tissue and having a runny nose, that is very real. I've I've dripped all over myself on the subway. It's a very unpleasant and relatable experience. Oh, yeah. And also his disapproving neighbor in the pew, that's Richard Briers. Did you did you recognize him? No. Yeah. Oh, good eye on that. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is the earlier episodes versus the later episodes. Because even though this show is technically one season, several of them aired years apart i think the the first ones were in maybe 1990 and then the show didn't conclude until 1994 or 5 i want to say in the earlier episodes it's all just a series of unconnected vignettes which work out really well and then in the later episodes they tend to follow one particular theme or plot and for some reason i find those episodes less satisfying and i'm not really sure why that is I think maybe it's a character that it's not that he can't sustain a longer plot, but I think that he works best in small doses, which is not to say that I can't take many small doses in a row. I would very happily watch a series of two to 10 minute vignettes for three or four hours in a row. And I definitely did that while binging in preparation for this podcast episode. But once you start putting him into longer plots i think that it becomes less successful and that's a big reason for why the movies do not work as as well as the tv show which is something that we can talk about later i think you're absolutely right and i think the first real shining example of of one of the episodes that's maybe less successful is mr bean in room 426 it's an episode that is you know an entire half hour of him in this hotel room and one of the weirder parts of it is that I don't understand why he decides to be in competition with the man who's in the room next to his and I really don't understand why he gets weird and competitive about how much food he eats in the buffet yeah and I and I don't understand why he thinks that makes him the winner of the competition (laughs) is by eating all of those oysters that eventually make him sick and give him a weird fever dream Mm -hmm. because he just looks ridiculous eating all of that food really quick and making weird sounds. And it's kind of an uncomfortable scene because you're just going, Bean, this is weird even for you. (laughs) And then, you know, he's trapped outside of his room and he's naked. And we've already seen that with the pool scenario. Um, but I think it was it was an excuse to get him in a dress. That was pretty great. That that episode has some really good moments for me. And I did, again, as a kid, I loved anything with a naked butt. So I was really delighted when he gets trapped outside of his hotel. And, and also the clever usage of the different signs, like no entry and private and, and exit and things like that. That seems almost like a, a precursor to Austin Powers in a way and the clever little ways that they hid the nudity in those. So like, I, I can respect... There's some good comedy going on in there. But I know what you mean. It is very weird that he's suddenly competitive with people for absolutely no reason. And that happens again in the hospital waiting room, too. That's oh, that's really unforgivable, man. Now, I guess I understand the motivation for that, which is that he wants to skip the line. Sure. But I don't know why he would remorselessly taunt a woman in a full body cast. Yeah, that's just really... I get why he'd steal her number. 
but to then remorselessly taunt her for her inability to move. I actually kind of yelled at my screen. Yeah. What you doing? That was diabolical. Yeah. And then I think actually for me, my least favorite episode is the one where he accidentally kidnaps a baby. I think that of all the episodes, that's the one with the most linear plot because it's all surrounding this one thing. With the back to school, it's like the setting is the unifying detail. And with the hotel room, it, it still is a series of vignettes just with unity of place. But the baby one, I just, I think that Mr. Bean works best when he's in just regular, plain old everyday situations doing them in his bizarre, unique Mr. Bean way. And we see how he manages to fuck up something as simple as making a sandwich and tea. Right. Whereas even someone who's not Mr. Bean won't necessarily do the greatest job of taking care of a baby that's been lost. And it seems like the kind of plot that anybody could pitch in a sitcom writer's room like hey i got an idea what if the lead gets uh, stuck with a baby and uh, they have to return it to the parents well like it, it just seems like it could be lifted and transplanted into any other show mm-hmm. and i think that it's so much more fun to see like let's let's see what this character does when when hosting a new year's eve party for two acquaintances who clearly don't like him very much that episode is the first one that made me go oh Uh, you know i had i had like little hints of that uh again going back to irma when she's dancing with somebody else even though he doesn't like her and i don't feel that bad for him there is a moment of awe like i we all know what that feels like and even I, if he's not emotionally invested like that was my first hint of it but it really really hit hard in the new year's episode i had the opposite i went get it irma he's being a dick oh no i mean i was i was certainly happy for her and i i think that objectively like if they were real people i would absolutely side with her but at the same time we all know what it's like to be romantically rejected and my heartstrings were plucked ever so slightly in that but but the the paranoia of, oh, maybe my friends don't actually like me, and maybe I am a really pathetic loser <laughs> who can't find uh, any sort of human companionship in this world. That's a much more real and upsetting fear, I think. Now, Rupert and Hubert can go fuck themselves because... Yeah, it's one night, fellas. They show up at that New Year's Eve party, and they already look pissed off. And I'm thinking, all right, if you know that Mr. Bean is a weirdo and he's going to serve you twigs covered in Marmite and glasses of vinegar and you want to leave early and you know it's going to be a weird night. I understand. You shouldn't be expected to drink vinegar and eat twigs if you don't want to do that. But if you show up pissed off already, it's like, have your escape plan. Yes. Make something up. Say that you, oh, I'm, I'm double booked, but thank you so much for the vinegar and the twigs. That is fine to me. You don't have to trick him into thinking it's New Year's only to have him obviously find out a couple hours later that he's been duped because I don't know if I would be able to come back from that, really. I mean, knowing that? It's just so irredeemable to be mean to the weird kid after you've pretended to be nice. And also, what makes you guys so special? I mean, if this is your only invitation for New Year's, then maybe take a good hard look in the mirror and see what you're doing wrong with your life. Now, apparently they were then a big hit at the party down the hall. Yeah. That's weird to me. I mean, that's just rubbing salt in the wound, man. Yeah. Those guys are dicks. They're they're even worse than the, than the homoerotic laundromat bully. <laughs> the homoerotic laundromat bully. Yeah. So here's here's a big question that I know that we've both been thinking about is is Mr. Bean happy? 
is anyone is the correct response. I do think Mr. Bean is happy. I do think he's content on his own. I think that he works, he kind of functions best as a human being when he's sort of keeping to himself. And he he is capable of being a dickhead and of, you know, inflicting pain on others. But yeah, I, I don't think he's bummed out to go have a picnic by himself. I think that's a perfect afternoon for Mr. Bean. Um, but he he does know what sadness is too, which you don't see in most of the episodes. But I think the New Year's episode is such a big deal because you can see a disappointed Mr. Bean with his feelings hurt, which sucks so much. But yeah, he is he is happy and he's happier than Bridget Jones. Yeah. But that like you said, the fact that we see that sadness, it goes back to something that we love about British comedy is that they don't shy away from that real pain and awkwardness. And it is it is painful to see him in pain. I don't I don't want to see it. For as weird and as sometimes mean and arbitrarily dickish as his behavior might be, you know, you feel for him and you're rooting for him at the end of the day. And it hurts to see him hurt. Oh, should we talk about the movies? We can talk about the movies. I did not see Mr. Bean's Holiday, and I haven't seen the first Mr. Bean since it came out, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I would like to talk about the movies because it relates to something that we said earlier about how he's not served by longer plots. Neither movie is as good as the TV show. We can just no. get that out of the way right away. But the the first one, I think, is especially wrong because they took this person who operates in such beautiful dysfunction in his own world and plopped him into a sort of typical Hollywood comedy with big, broad jokes and big stakes. And and it it's also jarring to hear him talk that much, as much as I love when he does have a little bit of dialogue and he's got such a funny voice. We may not have said this earlier, but I think it goes without saying that Rowan Atkinson may have the funniest face in human history. I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's really, it's such a gift. And he uses it, he uses his instrument so beautifully. It's really spectacular to watch what he does with it. And he's got a great character voice as well. Uh, but it's, again, less is more. It's not that I can't watch this character for a long time. I very much can. But it's too much of a fish out of water when he's put in Los Angeles and put in charge of a very important painting. It's just small stakes serve him best. Well, isn't it also strange, too, that for kind of chunks of that movie, he's not the lead? Yeah, I don't care about Peter McNichol's character. <laughs> I don't care about Peter McNichol's marriage falling no apart. No one cares about any of that. I only want to see Bean. That was so strange to me as a kid, because in preparation for the movie coming out, my mom got me a, a Mr. Bean VHS and I watched it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, you know, I definitely knew what to expect, and yeah, I didn't expect there to be like a family drama thrown in there somewhere where people other than Bean were being featured as, as heavily as they were. And you do have to kind of have him in these scenarios for a couple minutes at a time because eventually, if it goes on too long, you go, all right, no one can get away with this. Who's the adult in charge? Mm -hmm. And so to have Peter McNichol reacting to Mr. Bean the way that the average sane person would. It's like, well, yeah, he's a total weirdo. Get him out of your house. Yeah. Instead of just going, you're ruining my marriage. Oh my God, my life. It's like, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also think, and th this is, this may be a controversial opinion, but I think that Mr. Bean is the only show that I can think of that is not only 
not hindered by the presence of a laugh track, but is actually helped. And maybe it's the sort of broad theatrical nature of what we're seeing. It it helps, not that we need to have it pointed out exactly where the funny bits are, because obviously we're laughing on our own because they're, they're so funny and well executed. Mm-hmm. But there's something very weird about having there be no laughter <laughs> in when you're watching the movie. And to be fair, I'm sure that, you know, movies are written and produced in order to be shown in theaters where ideally it would have a packed opening weekend and you're seeing it with a whole bunch of strangers and laughing in the dark together. And that's a beautiful thing. But now with video, video, now with streaming several decades after video was a thing, you know, if you're just watching this by yourself at home on your laptop, it's not, you don't have that same community feel and you're not getting any other laughter unless it's coming from you. And the, the laughs that are there aren't strong enough, I think. Right. Well, and the laugh track on the show, something has to be there because it is so physical and there are such long stretches of time with, with no dialogue. So yeah. the laughter does kind of, it just helps keep the energy up, I think. If you think about Charlie Chaplin movies, you know, silent though they were, there was fucking music and, you know, eventually he had his funny little sound effects. And again, it it's the matter of keeping the energy up so that you're not just literally watching a goofy man on yeah, mute. Yeah, that would be really awkward and even claustrophobic to watch. But again, just like I didn't do any research as to whether there are other TV theme songs that are in Latin, but are there any other TV shows not for children that are largely without dialogue? I can think of some episodes of TV shows, like one of our favorite Inside Number Nines and a really great episode of BoJack Horseman. But I was going to say that same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can think of episodes where they've tried that trick once, but I can't think of any other entire TV shows that aren't specifically aimed at nonverbal children that feature almost no talking. I can't think of any either. And I think that in that sense, Rowan Atkinson and Richard Curtis had a really clear vision of what they wanted to create, which was a comedy with international appeal. And even in an interview that I read with Rowan Atkinson from within the last, you know, five or 10 years, he described the show, he said he wanted to create something that wasn't, quote, parochial, which, damn, you know, (laughs) that's a gold star word to just throw in when describing the comedy scene. But but he didn't want to make something snooty that only a certain, you know, enclave of people would would find funny. Sure. For as educated and incredibly smart as that man is, and as his writing partners at the time were, they opted to do something completely original, which was to entertain everybody. Yeah. And that is so... That should be so simple, shouldn't it? Yeah. And I really do think that they succeeded. I think we should also, since I brought it up earlier, we should talk about the second Mr. Bean movie, Mr. Bean's Holiday, which, while it still isn't as good as the TV show, I do think that it succeeds more than the first Mr. Bean movie, simply because it's a return to form. It doesn't have as much dialogue. It doesn't just plop him down into a a classic Hollywood comedy formulaic structure. It's more just like an extended adventure that again the stakes are too high it's a little bit like mind the baby mr bean where he accidentally kidnaps a child on this holiday that he won to france uh but you know and he's up he's up to his old antics there's a lot more uh silent or you know dialogue-less set pieces 
Um, and there are parts that did make me laugh. It was directed by Steve Bendelak, who did The League of Gentlemen, which is one of our all-time favorite shows in which we will be discussing at length on this podcast. And I can't wait. So that was cool. And Willem also, Dafoe is in this movie? <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking it up right now on my phone. And there's a... There's a nice cameo from from Steve Pemberton, who's one of our favorite actors in the beginning. Uh, although whenever I see any of the League of Gentlemen act in other people's writing, it's I'm happy to see them, but I'm also kind of mad that the material isn't as good as the material that they write for themselves. And it's like such a waste of so much great acting talent that he's just in this little nothing part playing a vicar running the raffle where he wins the titular holiday. There are no small parts, Kaylee. I know, I know. Only great actors who get wasted small parts <laughs> um is there anything else that we want to say about this show other than that we love it and if you guys haven't revisited it or seen it in the first place in a while first of all what are you doing listening not that we're complaining but you should you should go watch it because it's great who could play mr bean in a straight to netflix reboot Ooh, i mean rowan atkinson i think is the only person <laughs> But are you talking about like if they were going to remake it in America? Kind of like how I'm noticing more and more there are, there are television shows coming out that are complete reimaginings of movies that came out years ago. Is like it someone who is currently age appropriate? Because I was thinking if they did do an ill-fated adaptation of this, like in the 90s when it was still being produced in the UK, I think that probably Jim Carrey would have been tapped for it. Right. He is a really gifted physical comedian. It would not be the same. I don't, I think that Rowan Atkinson is completely irreplaceable. He owns this character. Yeah, because Jim Carrey as Mr. Bean would kind of just be Ace Ventura, but not talking. <laughs> but but I, I was thinking more like, like, did you read that Chris Hemsworth is supposed to be in the next Men in Black movie, which is... Let's put Chris Hemsworth in Mr. Bean the reboot. <laughs> is he playing Mr. Bean? Yeah, why not? I mean, oh I don't, if we're going to go so... I mean, because we established that Ron Atkinson is irreplaceable, we might as well replace him with someone really hunky and go in a completely different direction. I'd watch that Mr. Bean porn. Okay, I mean, do, do you think it would be worse or better if it were um, Army Hammer? <laughs> I mean, Chris Hemsworth at least has been in comedies, so I'm gonna say that of the two, those are two options for this okay, sweet. ridiculous so, so project that's never gonna happen. Mr. Bean is Chris Hemsworth. Can Irma be Rihanna? <laughs> oh my god. Now, I was wondering, because you and I have talked about our mutual love for the episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, where they play Snatch Game. Yeah, uh, and for just just really quickly, for those of you who have never watched an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, it's a bunch of drag queens competing for the title of America's Next Drag Superstar. And Snatch Game is where they pick a female celebrity, sometimes a male celebrity, to impersonate, and they play a version of Match Game as that person. It's a lot of great improv and a lot of great impersonation. And years ago, you mentioned that you felt that you could do a decent job on Snatch Game portraying Pee Wee Herman. Did I? That sounds like something I would say, but I have no memory of this. You, you totally said it. And so I was thinking one night, would Mr. Bean be a good Snatch character? Or would it be kind of a disaster? 
if it's your question and all you can say is, or like, would that be great? Oh, you can say, he says more things than that. He has, you know, my flexible friend. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He does say a couple things, but w- it, it would be a bit one note. I think that probably most of the comedy would be when he was just sort of wandering around and getting into silent mischief with the other contestants when he's not being asked a question. Right. But again, the question is, could anybody but Rowan Atkinson... <laughs> And Chris Hemsworth, apparently, do a good enough uh, approximation of that character. I think not. Here's what brings me to the next thing I thought about. I think that rather than have a actual drag queen portray Mr. Bean on Snatch Game, which <laughs> when I put it like that, is really stupid. <laughs> it's, it's my kind of stupid stuff. <laughs> Sandwich between like Dolly Parton and Celine Dion is like Mr. Bean. But to that point, I think that real comedy would be an episode of Mr. Bean about how he like accidentally ends up as a contestant on Drag Race. (laughs) (laughs) And he's in the workroom like trying to make a dress with hot glue and sequins and he has to walk the runway and make vagina jokes and pat himself oh yeah and tucking (laughs) yeah mr bean tucking oh my god how is that not a porno you know actually if rupaul's drag race were a thing in the uk i think that that could totally be a sketch for comic relief 100 percent. that would be a really fun crossover i would absolutely pay to see mr bean compete in in drag race being in the workroom and like other people's confessionals complaining about like okay so like miss bean is so weird i don't even get it like look at those eyebrows i want to see him get read (laughs) to filth by all the The library is open (laughs) yeah did you go through your reasons why you think that he is gay yet no I, i didn't and and again i'm not sure that he is gay but i think that there are just Little things that sort of happen to him that make me ponder his sexuality, such as the laundry room that's not, guy who is clearly cruising him. That's coming from outside, though. That's not... Do you think that he's secretly picking up on some gaydar that we don't get as straight women? Like, what? what is that? <laughs> I think you're stretching. And then he goes to room 426, and the first thing he does is redecorate everything. Okay, well, that, that's a stereotype, Steph. And why does he have a poster of Lady Diana on his wall? Is that a gay thing? I thought that was just a British thing. I thought that they love their royal family over there. Am I wrong? <laughs> Otherwise, everyone in England is gay. But what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, okay. The Yeah, the one celebrity cameo on that show is a famous female impersonator. <laughs> But I think that they just do that for at the end so that we can see Mr. Bean and Drake. So we get a little taste of that. That's not helping <laughs> the argument that there's nothing a little... I mean, to be fair, he gets into that dress because he needs to not be naked. It's not necessary for him to have the, the earrings and the wig and the lipstick. That's clearly just for him. Actually, oh, that reminds me of another Pee-wee <laughs> moment in one of my favorite movies, Pee-wee's Big Adventure when to escape the cops, he and the escaped convict dress up and he dresses as a woman. And as soon as they pass the cops, the con, you know, rips off his fake mustache, beard and his glasses. And Pee-wee's still sitting there as a woman, just kind of like, la-di-da, he's happy. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think that that's, it again, it doesn't read gay to me. It's more like, like children when they're, they're not yet completely, they haven't been so conditioned by strict, rigid gender roles. Uh, you know, a lot of little boys cross-dress for fun to be silly. I know a lot of girls who, like, their brothers would, like, dress up to be in a skit for them. And it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It's just, like, 
it's just sort of childlike fun. Well, I hear that. Then again, I can go on the record and say that I don't have the best track record with Gadar in my personal history. So I I will bow to others' expertise in this subject. Well, it's it's not that I have an expertise. I don't know. I, I, his, his sexuality is kind of up in the air. Again, it's not that he's gay. I don't think there's some lost episode of Mr. Bean Goes to the Gay Club. I would watch that. I would watch the shit out of that. Bumping butts like in that other episode where he's dancing. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I'm not able to articulate what-, what... No, I, I understand what you're saying. My vote is that he's not gay, but I get that it's a little more- He's not ambiguous. heterosexual either. Well, I, that's why I think that he really is asexual. He's queer. That's true, in the original sense <laughs> of the word. He's queer. You're a queer one, Mr. Bean. <laughs> Same as Mr. Grinch. Oh, can we talk about one of my favorite mind meld moments of our friendship? Yeah, let me let me bring everyone up to speed. I used to work as a tour guide at Universal Studios Hollywood, and it was around a Christmas time. Kaylee was in town, and because I was working Christmas week in the break room between tours, we had a lot of holiday movies playing, and I got to watch a good 10 minutes of The Grinch starring Jim Carrey, the the Ron Howard movie, and I think I was seeing it for the first time since it came out. So I was seeing it for the first time in... I can't do math. 12 years. And Jim Carrey seemed very camp to me. And he's alone in this cave. And he's got this giant furry body, which I'm sorry, that fur gets more condensed between his legs. And it looks like <laughs> a giant green bush. I, I It's not very deftly handled there. And he's just going around like, oh, oh. I hate everyone. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm, again, I'm nowhere near Kaylee. I'm watching it and I'm going, dude, he is Buffalo Bill, except the Grinch. Yeah, because he's, he's also like trying on all these little outfits and going like, I have nothing to wear. And I think that that was the thing that you described to me. So later that night, I, I go to your parents' house to visit you. And, and I, I definitely said, he's just kind of a weird naked man going, oh, I hate everyone and trying on dresses. And what does Kaylee say? <laughs> oh my God, he's Buffalo Bill. <laughs> and then we were just shaking with laughter at like, A, the absurdity of... You know, in retrospect, that was actually real weird, Ron Howard. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he's definitely, this makes him Buffalo Bill. Oh my God. That would be a really fun Halloween costume. Like the Grinch as Buffalo Bill. Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, I think we know what we're both doing in October. <laughs> yeah, because again, with, with that massive green bush, it's kind of like... He's yeah, tucking we all his, know the shot you're referring to. Yep. His Grinch. That's, that's really funny. I'm trying to think of what the Grinch would say as Buffalo Bill. Like, what does the Grinch do? It steals Christmas. It's in the title. He steals it. So, like, it puts the Christmas in the basket. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or else I take the roast beast again. <laughs> Need some work, but there's promise there. Is that he carves a roast beast? And I was like, "What the fuck's a roast beast?" Oh my god, that's the name of the gay club that Mr. Bean and the Grinch go to—is roast beast. <laughs> We've 
gone down some interesting paths tonight and i think we've all learned a lot <laughs> anyhow that's that's going to take us to the end of our little episode here kaylee i've had a fantastic time with you today i've had a fantastic time with you steph and i hope that anyone listening has also had a fantastic time so make sure that you check us out next week same bat time same bat station um where we're going to be discussing an entirely different show Faulty Towers. Yes, and that is available on Netflix, so you can easily binge that. It's just two seasons, so that's six hours of your life. That's like that's like two long Oscar Beatty movies. And now that Oscar season's over, what else do you have to do with your time? So Oscar Beatty. Get on it. What? Yes. I don't know. You said Oscar Beatty, and I thought of masturbating. That's all right. Get your head out of the gutter, stuff. <laughs> sorry i can't help it no it's it's one of the things that i love about you uh so yeah that's it thanks so much for listening all right cheers bye cheerio